Chapter 11 of Homecraft Rugs, Their Historic Background, Romance of Stitchery, and Method of Making by Lydia LeBaron Walker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joanne Turner. Rugs of Cross-Stitch or Phrygian Work. Chapter 11 references Color Plate 21, which may be viewed in the online version of this book. To connect so modern a thing as cross-stitch with the twilight history of a prehistoric people is indeed strange, but to have reason for belief that the identical stitch appeared in carpets of the ancient Frisians and Cappadocians, probably as early as the 7th century BC, over 2,500 years ago, is even more staggering. This is especially noteworthy in view of the fact that cross-stitch floor coverings, when made today, are considered in the light of novelty. According to research in the archaeological lore of carpets and rugs, the finding is grounded in fact. It appears that there are monuments and tombs of the Midas tomb variety, and chief among these, one with the mythical name of Midas inscribed on it, that present designs obviously copied from patterns employed on cloth and carpets. It is difficult to consider going back farther than the Frisians if we credit the legend that they were the first people to inhabit the earth and the originators of language. Little as we can believe the tales, it is curiously true that excavations frequently corroborate incidental traditional details and present-day events establish links of union with past ages. In the matter of the carpets, the sculptured patterns referred to and the heraldic designs are so unrelated to those employed by other of these remote peoples as to establish their identity as of Frisian type. Moreover, today in certain regions that correspond geographically to this archaic section, there appear occasionally in peasant homes carpets having the same variety of geometrical design. Thus does contemporary home decoration verify archaeological investigation. The rug illustrated is a faithful copy of the frontal decoration of the Midas tomb, which is supposed not only to be a design taken from a carpet, but to represent in low relief and, as well as the material permitted, the fabric itself. It was customary, when persons were notable, to hang carpets before entranceways and on walls, and Midas was honored by having one simulated on this, his monument or tomb. It is considered not unlikely that the surface once was in colors, probably red, blue, white, and black, thus presenting an even more realistic representation of a textile. Today, no color is found on the Midas tomb, but on one known as the Delikli Tak, there are signs of polychrome treatment after the lapse of 30 centuries. If, when working the rug pattern given, the design be carried out in black against a background of earth red, the combination would approximate one of the early era or, again, old blue with black, or indigo blue with earth red, would be true to type. These, or other old tapestry hues, should be employed, 
unless warm grays or neutral rock tones preserve in the textile the hewn stone semblance. But always the color contrasts should be pronounced to bring out the marvelous beauty and subtle intricacies of the pattern. Every stitch in this choice rug has been so carefully worked out that the design is as easy to follow as any other cross-stitch pattern. To the scale of 10 stitches to the linear inch in which it is developed, the finished rug measures 18 by 27 inches. On canvas 6, 7, or 8 stitches to the inch, the size is proportionately increased, while on the 4 stitches to the inch canvas, the rug becomes large without any increase of labor. The meander, the star formation of squares, and the cross are motifs immediately apparent. The lozenges are supposed to represent joists, though lozenges, squares, crosses, meanders, and all forms that ornament these sculptured fronts are of the kind the looms and the broiderers of Asia Minor produce at the present day on those justly prized carpets made in the provinces which answer to the Lydia and Phrygia of olden times. To revert again to the cross-stitch, though it would not have been used on carpets at its earliest invention, it is accepted as one of the stitches used in the embroidery of the hangings or curtains of the tabernacle described in Exodus chapter 28, 1491 B.C. The Jewish stitchery came later than the Phrygian. That it is a stitch eminently suited to floor coverings is evidenced also by the Spanish 17th and 18th century and the colonial 18th and 19th century cross-stitch rugs and carpets. The name of the primeval city of Phrygia is still connected with cross and half-cross tent stitch, for in the language of classic stitchery it is known as Phrygian work. Since the Phrygians and Babylonians were the founders of embroidery, it is close to impossible to trace anything earlier. The stitch from the earliest era to the present day has remained identical, although called by varying names. Point de Maca, plated Slav stitch, canvas work, Montenegrin cross-stitch, etc. To know such terms aids in the adapting of designs to rug craft, for, by whatever name called, whenever the stitch is a square cross-stitch, the design in which it appears can be copied in rug-making. It should, of course, be appropriate and the material suitable, such as heavy yarns on cross-stitch or tapestry canvas. It is possible, though less easy, to adapt elongated cross-stitch, such as the Persian. Its shape requires special calculation on the part of the rug maker. The size of a rug or carpet, in either case, depends on the size of the pattern employed, as well as the size of the canvas weave and number of repeats in the pattern. It is by means of repeating a design that a rug can readily be made to suit the floor space for which it is intended. Apart from the classical considerations of carpets and cross-stitch, it should be emphasized that the work is eminently suited to the embroidering of rugs today. The stitch is of double thickness, as the name implies. The understitch acts as a padding for the upper, on which the footfalls come, 
thus relieving the wear and tear to a marked degree. It was because of the extra durability of the work that cross-stitch was used on kneeling cushions for churches, thereby being confused with the regulation cushion-stitch, which is similar to cross-stitch. When taking designs from oriental rugs, there need be little variation. In the eastern hand-weaving, there are slight discrepancies. As the depth of a stitch is a trifle less than its width, but this in no wise interferes with the copying of the work, stitch by stitch, in the square mesh of the cross stitch. One of the notable advantages in cross stitch rug craft is its diversity. Rugs with the flavor of genuine carpets of the Orient are not the only ones that lend themselves to the technique of the embroidery. Floral rugs can be realistically presented, in which the flat surface may be varied by introducing some one of the several raised or pile embroidery stitches, with or without sheared loops. To get such an embossed effect in some of the old cross-stitch rugs of this country, rug makers, puzzled about this technique, resorted to pulling strands of yarn through the interstices of the canvas previously embroidered, allowing the ends to project slightly. Among these early American floor coverings, treasured in museums and private collections, are to be found cross-stitch carpets, hall and stair runners, and rugs. One carpet, Plate 21, in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, New York, was made about 1800 by the wife and daughters of Judge Pliny Moore for their family mansion in Champlain, New York. The stair carpet to match is in the possession of Mrs. Robert Souter of Boston, a great-granddaughter. The set of floor coverings for drawing room, hall, and stairs remained in use for generations, for Mrs. Souter can remember running down the stairs and over the carpets when she was a little girl visiting her grandmother. The history of the making of these carpets is interesting. It took four years to complete the embroidery on the set. The widths of linen foundation are completely covered in cross-stitchery. Owing to the inherent precision of cross-stitch and the careful planning of the design with its Greek fret border, the pattern comes together without discrepancies when the widths are sewed together like breadths of carpet loom woven. All the materials were homemade. The wool used in the embroidery was from sheep raised on the estate. It was home dyed in tones varying from a rich cream to a mellow, dark wood brown, the dyes being brewed from the roots and barks of trees on the place. The linen foundation was from flax grown and harvested in the fields and spun and woven into cloth by the family. This work was always done in colonial days by the gentlefolk of this country, just as much as the embroidery. In England and Europe, the latter was the chief accomplishment of ladies of the court, under whose expert skill the stitchery held its place in the realms of art. It was fancy work, as distinguished from plain sewing. In America also, Embroidery has always been done by women in their leisure moments. 
Though on pleasure she was bent, she had a frugal mind, may well be said of every artistic woman who, in the pioneer days of this country, turned her skill in needlecraft to the making of floor coverings. Today there is no more practical nor beautiful form of this applied stitchery than cross-stitch carpets, runners, and rugs. The fact that the cross-stitch carpets in question, after having served as floor coverings for years, are still in excellent condition and quite ready for further use, should it be required of them, bears witness to the durability of cross-stitch carpets made on stout foundations with a stitch that is not too coarse. Even the fact that parlors were rooms of state seldom lived in, that back entrances and stairways were used in preference to front halls and front stairs, does not discredit this evidence. A floor covering that can withstand the tread of hard leather soles and stiff heels has an enduring quality. Oriental carpets never have to stand such usage in their native lands. It is only with unshod or slippered feet that the Orientals walk on their exquisite handmade rugs. It takes the Occidental to treat floor coverings in this harsh manner. Fortunately, cross-stitch carpets have the needed durability to a marked degree. In reference to the foundation fabrics best suited to cross-stitch rug making, there still is nothing equal to a hand-woven linen. However, this is now difficult to get, as well as expensive to buy. One of the best modern fabrics is Aida canvas, known sometimes and in some localities abroad as Java canvas. It is a particularly strong weave, stiffened canvas, made of several strands of warp and weft between the holes. Ordinary canvas, variously known as tapestry and cross-stitch canvas, does not have as many strands of warp and weft and is not quite as desirable because of this looseness of weave, though it is often used. In this, there comes an extra coarse weave, brought out especially for modern rug making. It has but four holes to the inch. On it, the heaviest rug yarns are needed, or their equivalent in those not quite so coarse. Cross-stitch wrought on counted threads was done in some of the colonial rugs on burlap instead of linen. It is true of this jute material that, when used as the filling in certain oriental rugs, durability is sacrificed to low cost. The ancients who made cross-stitch carpets used linen foundations, and the colonial rug makers used it also for this stitchery. The embroidered carpets are choice and deserve foundations that will be as enduring as the stitchery. It is for this reason that Aida canvas is advised. Jersey cloth and other knit woven fabrics can be cut in 3 8 inch bias strips and be used in place of yarn on the wide-spaced canvas. Also, it is possible to use other soft weaves of cloth, cut in such widths as can be drawn easily through the spaces and conceal the foundation when the stitchery is complete. Whatever the working medium, when used on ordinary canvas, it must hide the goods. 
but in the more decorative varieties, such as Zaida canvas, the field of the rug may be exposed, and a border with a medallion center complete the embroidery. The field may have corner pieces, as well as the medallion, as is customary in oriental rugs, or the field may have smaller motifs scattered over the surface. As will be seen, the amount of stitchery may vary, and therefore it is possible to make a cross-stitch rug in an amazingly short time, and in as thrifty a way as any thrift rug. A blunt, cruel needle with an eye sufficiently large to take the medium should be used, or a bodkin may be substituted if strips of fabric are used. Since cross-stitch is one of the earliest embroidery stitches, and has remained popular throughout the centuries, to describe its method seems futile. Yet there are certain little quirks that must be given attention if perfection is attained. To know them, the rug maker has to be thoroughly acquainted with the method of making cross stitches. For one thing, the stitches when embroidered consecutively should be made in pairs, or else in two journeys. Each stitch occupies a square surface of a foundation fabric and is comprised of two slanting stitches crossing exactly in the center. To make, bring up the threaded needle through the lower left-hand hole, down at upper right, up at lower right, down at upper left, completing one stitch. The next one is taken in reverse order, up at upper left, down at lower right, up at upper right, and down in lower left, thus completing the second stitch, leaving the needle ready to start work again, as in the first stitch. The back of the work shows a meander, the right side, the cross stitches. Not only is this the easiest way to work, when each stitch is completed as the work progresses, but not a bit of yarn or other medium is wasted. Isolated cross stitches are made in a similar way. Grounding, that is, stitches taken on a background, is best made by working all stitches in one direction at one time or in one journey across the goods, and those crossing them in a second journey. This is the quickest way to work long rows of one color. Throughout all the work, whether in grounding or design, all understitches must go in the same direction, and all upper cross stitches also in parallel rows. Exquisite patterns have been marred to the eye of the expert by stitches embroidered regardless of this precision of direction. The worker evidently assumed that, as the stitchery is geometrically square, its direction of lines was of no consequence. But like the nap of cloth, they must run the same way, or blemishes are readily apparent. In rug craft, the work is heavy and coarse, rather than fine and minute, and so blemishes stand out distinctly. Fortunately, the right way is the easy and economical one, and the stitch itself, one of the easiest ever devised. A cross-stitch rug requires a lining. And if an interlining also is added, the rug will last longer and be more luxuriously soft. Canton flannel, or double-faced domit cloth, is excellent for the interlining, 
and denim for the lining. Burlap does not last as long as the rug. This I have found by experience. When the embroidery on the rug has been completed, lay a damp cloth over the wrong side of the embroidered surface and press, having a soft cloth over the ironing board under the stitchery. When absolutely dry, put the interlining in so that it comes to the edges without being turned in and baste securely. It is well to tack it with stitches invisible on the right side of the rug. Turn the unworked edges of the rug back over the interlining and then put on the lining and baste it along the edges, leaving sufficient space to turn back a hem in the lining. Fell the hem along the edge. If fringe finishes the two ends, make it directly in the rug foundation through the holes close to where the embroidery stops. Use six or seven strands of ordinary three-ply yarn or its equivalent. Turn in the hem close to the fringe, which will then extend beyond the rug. The fringe should be made after the embroidery is completed and before the rug is pressed or lined. In turning from the details of technique in cross-stitch floor coverings to individual types of rugs, we find three deserving special attention, besides the Midas rug previously described. They are the Silhouette and Figurine rug, the Assisi rug, and the Map rug, Silhouette and Figurine rugs. The modern Silhouette rug takes its name from the type of design, which may be portrait or figurine delineation. No aid to portrayal can be supplied other than that of the edges of one color against the background of different hue. So decidedly must colors accent each other that a definite impression of the shape and substance of natural objects rather than geometric motifs is conveyed. Black against white or cream is the regulation silhouette combination and it is apt to appear in silhouette rugs. But color schemes to match or harmonize with the color scheme of a room are excellent, provided they permit the necessary sharp contrast to bring out the pictorial quality. In figurine rugs, more latitude is permissible if the rug maker chooses to introduce color harmonies. The shades must be flat colors with no attempt to indicate shading. A costume may be in one color with bands of a contrasting hue. Posies may grow on green stalks. Color must be in masses, as is consistent with the character of silhouettes. The background stitchery must throw the silhouettes into relief. Silhouette and figurine rugs are sometimes wrought in other types of stitchery than cross-stitch. It is quite possible to make attractive hooked, knit, crocheted, etc., silhouette rugs, provided the work progresses by counted threads or stitches. It is only thus that the required precision of delineation is accomplished. Just as a painting calls for a frame to set it off to best advantage, so do these fabric silhouette rugs require some sort of frame to carry them to satisfying completion. This frame does not have to be anything more substantial than the rug border, which serves the purpose admirably. And because these rugs have such compelling pictorial quality, 
they appear as fitting for wall decoration as floor covering. This is reversing the order of the earliest rugs, which were wall decorations prior to being placed on the floor. The Assisi rug. The Assisi rug is a distinctly modern floor covering, employing two stitches which combine in a positive or worked background and a negative or unworked design to make a zizi work. It is so named from the Italian city where it is chiefly embroidered. The patterns, done on counted threads, are invariably angular. The stitchery is extremely simple, comprising cross-stitch and stroke-stitch, both of which work up with amazing rapidity. Assisi work is classic in style and workmanship. Cross-stitch is the main stitch and is used for the grounding, leaving the design in fabric silhouette. To further bring out the pattern, outlines and lines accenting it are worked in the two-sided stroke stitch, or holbein stitch, which is alike on both sides. The reverse side of the cross-stitch shows rows of parallel lines of short stitches exactly joining. This result is easy to accomplish if all the stitches of the first journey of one row are done in half cross stitch, tent stitch, and then all the stitches forming the oblique crosses are done in a second journey, in which the needle always is put into the identical stitch holes of the first journey. This brings the threads crossing on top and above one another on the wrong side. When several rows of the Assisi work are completed, the reverse side shows straight, parallel lines. The medium is never so coarse that the foundation is hidden completely, even in worked portions. This is a distinct feature of Assisi work. The two-sided stroke stitch, Holbein stitch, is also done in two journeys, so spaced that a broken line appears at first, each stitch being separated by its own length from those next it. In the second journey, by reversing the order of stitches, all spaces are filled and the line is consecutive. The needle must be put into the identical holes made by it in the first line of work. Holbein stitch is named from the artist in whose pictures the embroidery is often delineated. It was a popular stitch in his time, being an outline stitch taken with the weave either horizontally or vertically with angular turnings embroidered as described, often at the termination of a line, slanted or a Y-shaped stitch is found. It lends additional decoration and is made in the same way as a straight one, but diagonally across the weave. All the stitchery in a CC work is apt to be in one color, though the stroke stitch, forming outlines and accents, may be in black or some dark contrasting tone. Old blue, Italian red, black, and sage green are favorite hues for the cross-stitch grounding. The foundation should be a straight weave foundation in which warp and weft cross at right angles with the precision of cross-stitch canvas. Aida canvas is excellent in a neutral shade of ecru. In Italy, linen would be used. Therefore, an extra heavy, round thread linen in natural color would be in perfect accord. 
Monk's cloth and even a high grade of burlap are both acceptable. The Aida canvas has the advantage of the stiffness of a cross-stitch foundation and also its holes. Whatever the fabric, it should be good-looking, for it is exposed through the stitchery and the entire field is generally minus embroidery, the pattern consisting then of a deep border only. When the stitchery is completed, line and interline the rug. Fell the lining down close to the turned-in edges of the rug, or bind the edges with a carpet binding in the same colors, or a wide, plain-toned linen tape. No fringe is needed, but if used, it should be short and of the same medium as the cross-stitchery. A fringe of small tassels made of the embroidery medium is a consistent and attractive finish for rug ends. Assisi rugs are recommended for their artistry as much as their simplicity of stitchery and the rapidity with which they are made, all of which characteristics are appealing to the modern rug maker. The map rug. Though there are map samplers, the map rug is unique. However, maps have been used for decorative purposes for centuries, and there is a distinct element of consistency in using them as floor coverings when treated simply. The most exquisite example of a map as a motif in textiles is instanced in the cashmere shawl made for the Prince of Wales collection in India when, as Albert Edward, Prince of Wales, the late King Edward VII, visited this remote portion of the British Empire in 1875-76. to 76. The map pictures Srinagar, the capital of Kashmir, on the banks of a river. Ships are on the blue water. Flowers make gardens gay. Trees spread their branches. Houses are clearly seen, and persons walk about. The stitchery portrays in colors each minute detail as exquisitely as if the scenic map were an ancient colored print. The parallel of this shawl to a rug is a genuine one, since the word shawl comes from the Sanskrit sala, signifying a floor, a room, and was so named because shawls were first used in the interchangeable capacity of carpets, hangings, and coverlets. There is something eminently appropriate about using a fabric map for a floor covering. Its position underfoot is in keeping and on it. As on the magic carpet of Persia, one can be transported in an instant over great spaces with but a single step. It is important to work out cross-stitch map rugs in the same quaint way that old map samplers were developed. Unlike the silhouette rug, outlines should be soft against backgrounds, and colors throughout should be subdued. However modern in geographical accuracy the rug may be, it should be antiqued in color. End of chapter 11.